0: taking away fundamental rights. I want to tell you, Gorsuch, I want to tell you, Kavanaugh, you have released the whirlwind and
1: you will pay the price.
2: You won't know what hit you. Republicans seek to take control of the House of Representatives. Republicans are going to retake both the House and Senate. A liberal MSNBC hosts warning Democrats about the potential for a red wave. Do we have
3: any sort of canary in the coal mine type indications of where we may be headed on that front? Fox News
1: is calling the Virginia governor's race for Republican Glenn Youngkin.
3: You and I have a rendezvous with destiny.
1: We'll Welcome back on a beautiful May day here uh, in the nation's capital to the Ruthless Variety Program. I'm Josh Holmes, along with Comfortably Smug, Michael Duncan, and John Ashbrook. You just heard our esteemed majority leader, uh, and and he was this was from some time back, sounding like an insurrectionist to me. Pretty much. That's, he,
0: that's incitement of violence. Intimidating uh, the judiciary. <laughs> uh, that's from March 2020.
1: So this is, I mean, and they're all running around in hot dog suits, uh, wondering how these cro- crowds <laughs> started building outside of Supreme Court justices' <laughs> homes over the weekend.
0: Yeah. I mean, this has been sort of the MO of, of the left for a while with regard to the Supreme Court. Um, at one point, a bunch of the Senate uh, Democratic caucus sent a letter to, oh, the, I remember to this. the Supreme Court. I think White Club yeah, White, the, yeah, your, Sheldon White Club. Your boy, yeah. Sheldon, Sheldon White Club. Um you know, basically threatening the justices that if they didn't change the way that they were ruling, uh, maybe they'd have some more colleagues. Maybe they'd have to pack the court. Maybe they'd have <laughs> to expand it.
1: I mean You know? And it it's just it's so mind boggling. All all of this, of course, resurfacing because of the decision the leaked Decision that it's not actually a decision yet, but we understand will be a, a court's decision uh, on their overturning of Roe v. Wade. And over the weekend, uh, which we'll go into in some detail, uh, the left, unsurprisingly, started protesting in front of houses and and basically causing you know. Some significant issues in these neighborhoods.
0: Yeah, threatening federal judges. I thought that there were statutes on the books uh, to stop this sort of there thing. There
2: were, and, and there was the, wasn't the son of a federal judge was murdered, or
1: oh yeah, that's right, for
2: intimidation. Right. Like this is a really, really horrific. Like not, it's gone beyond a precedent because you know the left has already shown that they're willing to organize mobs and commit violence, and the media is going to give them a pass since they're on the same team. But it's really horrific the road they're going down.
1: Not completely. We're going to go into it, as I said, in some detail. Uh, first off, uh, we have a great guest today, somebody that a, a number of the minions are well uh, familiarized with, FCC Commissioner Brendan Carr. Uh, this is one of the <laughs> the very rare uh, federal appointees who's actually interesting and smart. Uh, and as the FCC works, their terms, I think it's five years is, is, mm-hmm. is the term. So you're appointed, you know, in this case by a Republican president, President Trump, and he's still on the commission, serving with—I uh, don't—he wouldn't say this, but you know, potentially psychopaths off the left, <laughs> right? <laughs> so like he's holding it down for us. Um, but we get into a lot of really great conversation that is very relevant because, you know, it's policy heavy, but it's—it's it's everything to do with tech, censorship, with you know, 5G, all the things that, that are, are super, super important in this day and age. So I think you'll enjoy that conversation.
2: And on that note, I'd like to welcome all our new Think Tank listeners who saw that Brendan <laughs> Carr was the desk and they're like, well, <laughs> got to hear what he has to say. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's like, hey, ask me ask him about this niche issue that only five <laughs> people care about, like not
3: doing it, I not wonder, today. I wonder if any of them bet on the Kentucky Derby.
1: Well, oh, I think we all did, safe to say. Right, gentlemen? You were all in on this?
2: So I am so bitter about this. Mm-hmm so bitter about this i mean i don't need to explain to y'all how much i enjoy horse betting like that became a tradition that's how us. we started the podcast that's how we started this yeah the app wasn't working for me no oh no the whole day i kept rebooting i tried deleting it redownloading it, it just would not work
1: we were you on twin spires
2: twin spires well oh, wait oh, you were
1: working. in dc weren't you
2: yeah but sometimes i use in theory someone could use an oh in app theory not you yeah in theory someone could use an app yeah that would you know spoof where your gps is Many, yeah, may, many people are saying.
1: Yeah. Well, if you just were in Virginia, uh, you can do it unfettered, yes. uh,
0: as as we the three of us. Would. Well, pro- the problem with my betting is it was a little too unfettered. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah. Uh, I was book. I was booking some 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 trifectas, some superfectas. Oh yeah. I tried boxed. I did some try boxes because I was really falling in love with some horses. Any, uh,
3: did any of them have the twenty one horse?
1: None. None of them uh, panned out for me. Well, so I got a, I had a tip a few years back uh, from a good friend Brett who lives in Kentucky and is a aficionado of uh, horse betting, and his thing was if you got two horses that you love, you take the two horses in an exacta, but then you add you have you have like four different bets with the long shots, right? Just to see what happens, right? Right, just in case something hits. you
0: put those in a try or you take nope. the exacta, and take then you the add exacta, one more. and then you add one. Okay,
1: so I did that for every long shot. Except, oh no, this one. Oh, you're oh no, because he was just added to the field on Friday. Yeah. It was like, what? Yeah. There's no chance. Like, I'm just gonna throw 50 bucks away. I'm putting that. Nope. It would have paid like four grand. See,
2: and that's the thing is, I was pissed because I, I would have loved when I saw the odds at the time when they were 99 to one on the winning horse. I was, I was opening the app. I was like, I just want to throw 100 bucks on it because, like, the risk reward when you do a risk adjustment, on am throwing 100 bucks and you'll get 10,000 back, like. <laughs>
1: this guy was paying like 35 big ones yeah i mean it was it was incredible so if you didn't watch the derby rich strike uh which was only added to the field on friday which i'm gonna have to figure out how that is all done but needless to say it was the 21 horse the last horse in this field uh and nobody really discussed because the trainer had never been to the derby the jockey had never been to the derby the owner had never been to the derby uh, this horse if you saw the replay of this race came from the absolute back of the field to win by you know a half length or so in the final stretch it was totally shocking
2: and the race itself was crazy like the pace of it which is why you saw a lot of horses gassed at the end and this guy just opened up the jets yeah he was just ready to go <laughs>
0: well the race the race was incredible I think what was even more incredible were the antics after the race from our from our champion here race antics the race antics the biting
2: yeah usually you expect gate antics but yeah. post race antics is, is kind of a new thing yeah
0: so rich if you got, if you missed what happened after the race uh rich strike uh the horse started biting the the lead horse uh that one of the officials was using um to try to, to corral, him, corral right? him and guide him not
1: only that also bit the dude and the dude started punching. Well, I was just going to say, this is where the variety program, the Nexus. This
0: is where it comes occurs. in. We were I tagged. knew this day would come. We yeah. were tagged a lot in this content.
1: Yeah, yeah. So it it turns out, Smug, uh, this particular gentleman actually seems to subscribe to your view of how you handle a horse. Yeah. And he jacked this horse like right in the mouth.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you got to do the right thing. And he called the he knew he called the horse's bluff. What's the <laughs> What's the horse gonna do? They're very dumb animals. <laughs> like throw a history, I mean, this is a prime example. We told them to run in a circle, and they run in a circle, right? <laughs> and so this guy's like, "Hey, calm down, buddy," and just popped him. You know,
1: <laughs> well, it seemed to work.
0: Uh, uh, I don't know, though. I honestly i I think the evidence of this encounter is pretty clear that you can punch a horse a handful of times; it's not deterred. <laughs> I, it kept biting. In fact, it bit his leg. Also, here's <laughs> so my- I what what I'm saying is I. I think this proves you are wrong. No, 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 no. no.
2: So here's the thing is, I'd like to see some testing on this horse. I I think (laughs) it looks like a junkie horse, like 100%. Like the way it was acting at the end, it was going like full Hunter Biden. And it it had twitching and and jumping like it was out of its mind.
1: Presumably just had its toughest workout in history by running like a near record. Yeah. Kentucky Derby. And it's got that much energy at the end. You got to ask the question, don't you? Yeah. You got to ask. the: Is it a junkie horse? It might be. I don't know. Well, if it listen, if it is a junkie horse and they somehow uh, take the, that off, I've got a, a, both an uh, exacta and a trifecta.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so,
1: you know, I'm just going to raise the question. Uh, let's do some five stars. Should we, fellas? Sure. Uh, Michael, you want to start with the first one?
0: Sure. This one's from Claire the Librarian from a recovering lib. Fellas, I'm a vegetarian, pro-choice, tree-hugging, former lib.
1: Oh, interesting. And I
0: love your show, my fiance, and I call y'all the Spatchcock Boys <laughs> <laughs> because of our first experience was the Thanksgiving episode. Yes! Of- and I left. It left quite an impression. <laughs> wow!
1: <laughs> you got it. You can't fool around with the spatchcocking. You've I got <laughs> to do it. It's got to be a very aggressive spatchcock. Uh,
0: even though I disagree with y'all on several policy issues, you never fail to engage me with your commentary and fascinating guests. I voted red for the first time in 2020, yes. and I don't think Excellent. I'll ever go back. Thank you for your service. Oh,
1: yeah. recovering lib. I love it. I love it. That's fantastic. We're
2: radicalizing people. I love it. A little at a time. Uh, Smoke, you want this next one? Absolutely. This is from ELR919. Uh, The title is, does loving this mean I'm not a Dem anymore? Wow, this is like a pattern, huh? What can I say? I was a CNN-watching Dem my whole life who stumbled upon this podcast in a quest for some differing views. At times you make me laugh, at times you make me cringe, and at times you make me wonder why we are discussing animals. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, us too. But you opened my eyes to the conservative values that lived not so loudly within me. Oh, the, nice. Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. Good job. From Lib, you may just own now. Well, awesome. <laughs> I, this sounds
1: confirmation. It sounds like confirmation to me that the variety program is turning Lib's conservative one at a time here. Yeah. Uh, Smash, you want this last one? Yeah, sure.
3: <clears throat> this is from Growing Garlics, titled Sunshine. You guys are the sunshine in my day. I'm an American living in Canada, married a Canadian soldier and am frequently depressed by the political state of both countries. You three are the vitamin D to my day with your optimism, laughter, and insight. Thank you for the program.
1: Ah, oh, nice. that's great. Well, you've always said, Duncan, that we have a, a large listenership in Canada. We do. It turns out these people are all over the place. Yeah. They, I mean, we do a, a little bit of Canadian content. We even had the premier of Alberta on the program at one point, so we're serving it up for Canada.
0: And too. yet no, no one has sent us maple syrup. I would like some. Re- I would like some real Canadian maple syrup. Okay,
2: I mean it's better than Vermont. Many people are saying. <laughs> what is
0: what it's is going just on here? Well, I,
2: I just I, like the,
1: <laughs>
0: I'm taking it back. Well, I'd also like the one thing that I'm fascinated about with the maple syrup is they have a strategic reserve of it.
1: Yeah, you've like, mentioned this on a couple of occasions. Yeah, and do you think it's like a big vat in the middle of Canada that everybody sort of—that like, would be
2: amazing. I want to know the story of this. Yeah, I they, don't recall it being mentioned, but like, there's a lot of reasons why I don't remember our shows. They
0: <laughs> hoard the maple syrup. It's like it's like what De Beers is to diamonds. The
2: Canadians are to maple syrup.
1: But does it hold? Like, can you? Are
2: they like the syrup OPEC? Like, yes, these, amazing. I never knew this.
1: Yes, and they can they can strategically release it at uh-huh. times. And it, there's no threat of it going bad in this strategic Well, look, like, here's the thing.
0: I don't know everything about it. I feel like you need to figure it out, don't you? Well, I'm just saying we have a lot of listeners in Canada. Maybe we can get another guest who can explain the finer points. If we can find a guest who's like... In
2: on it.
1: The guy. Like the guy. Yeah, who's like, yeah, the strategic oh Hell presenter. yeah. He's and, in charge. He and, has the key. And there's like many things he can't tell us about Yes. It. I like that
2: idea. i want to know like there are there massive vats of maple syrup like you know with the thing spinning <laughs> like around like you, so ch- you, yeah, you have to turn it yeah it's got to be churned at all times and it's like fort knox where they're there are some, it. There's, there's some
0: there's <laughs> some listener in canada right now who's listening to this and like we've said like 10 things that are wrong and
1: they're like no pulling their heads up, hair up. yeah and you can only pay for it with walleye or raw lumber <laughs> Which is interesting.
2: I mean, it's wild. Like all these Canadians, basically, they have to live a life in an igloo, and and the the country's currency is maple syrup.
1: This (laughs) this person just gave us a great review. He's down in the country. Yeah, it sounds like they're not happy there anyway. Uh, Okay, this is what we opened up with. It's uh, the issue of abortion, and what we discussed was the fact that there were there was violence. I I don't know if violence, that's maybe too strong of a term. There were certainly huge numbers of libs out in front of Supreme Court justices' homes over the weekend. Yeah,
0: it's an intimidation and pressure campaign. This is what the left does.
1: This is what they do. But what was so striking about it to me is that we've gone through a year and a half with every one of these people decrying January 6th as the worst thing that's ever happened, right? And the trigger for it, they all say, is is the, the Trump and other speeches out in front basically you know, inciting the crowd, as they say, right? Well, we just heard from Chuck Schumer. It, it, it I was, mean,
2: wasn't that the reason they impeached him again?
1: Yeah, right. I mean, that was the that was the the articles of impeachment itself.
2: And then our show opens with Chuck Schumer doing exactly that.
1: Doing exactly that, and then people show up, right? And the thing that 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 is so crazy about this is that the parallels to Jan 6 and and base voters being disappointed. is is striking to me. So striking that I cannot believe that there is nobody that feels the least bit of hypocrisy on the left.
0: No. I mean, I'm not really surprised by that, though. I mean, they're brazen hypocrites, and they are about everything. So, I mean, this is just, I think, par for the course for them, honestly.
1: Um, There was a piece in Town Hall that included reports of Samuel Alito, Justice Alito, being moved to an undisclosed location with his family. Jeez. I mean yikes guys this is like this is unbelievable
2: i mean i I, so i've taken kind of a macro view on this whole situation well to start with this is exactly what they wanted to happen this is this is the whole purpose is how it was orchestrated to happen when you look at the leak you know typically this this would have been released like in july this opinion yeah and june it, it was it was leaked specifically to give time for these deranged left-wing groups and left-wing activists to do exactly this. Try to try to use mob rule to get their way. Because that has become the marching orders of the left. They exist not in, in a realm of facts or following the Constitution or reason or anything like that. It's a hundred percent based on we demand what we want with our foot soldiers and they'll do that when when it comes to any any like in the senate they want to kill the filibuster if they can't have their way completely they will break any institution in the way there was a summer where you saw rioters across the country burning cities and there were no consequences across the board like new york gave a blanket pardon to people charged kamala harris was like here donate to this bail fund And you had people who got out on that bail fund and and committed more crimes. Well, what was what was
0: really—I mean, then none of that surprised me because of the way that the left is about this. What really surprised me in this, and this is a thing that really radicalized me uh, on on what hypocrites they are, was do you remember when those protests started, the BLM protests? You had the same public, quote unquote, public health officials previously had said you have to lock yourself in your house yeah we're now saying the cause of blm is more important than this virus so it's actually okay to go out there and protest right like suddenly the thing that we were you know we didn't know anything about this virus back then suddenly you don't have to be scared about that anymore you can go out and protest in the streets and that's when i think it really revealed the fiction of it all
1: yeah it was it was a it was a cause based virus right right a a socially conscious virus
2: and and that goes so that was that goes with the macro view I have where the left has corrupted every institution. If you look across the board, yeah, where uh, you, we have how many instances now of the FBI acting in a partisan manner, right? Right. We have how many instances now where uh, uh, health officials are like, well, you know, listen, if it's, if it's for a good social justice cause, you can disregard the medical advice, <laughs> right? We have a Supreme court justice who just got confirmed that was nominated by Biden who can't tell you what a woman is. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's like they've lost complete, any kind of like a, a, a semblance of a hold on reality.
1: Genuine radical. Yeah. Like this is, we're not talking about people with different political opinions here.
2: And the whole Genuine thing is, radical. they just want to uh, steamroll anything in their way, which, I mean, w- my thinking when I saw this, like insane mobs that were showing up to the houses of Supreme Court justices. I mean, it, my first thought was, This is why we have the Second Amendment in this country. And that's why the left is just so hell-bent on taking that away, because they want to make sure there is nothing in the way of total control. They
1: get complete intimidation of people.
2: Whitlock, a friend of the program,
1: Matt Whitlock, had a, a, a great tweet that I think perfectly encapsulated this whole thing. I repeat, if Sonia Sotomayor had to pack up her family and leave her home for safety because conservatives didn't like an opinion, it would get January 6th level coverage.
2: And not just coverage. It's, I mean, the, every protester outside her home would be put in a gulag, no trial date, or Biden would do a domestic drone strike. And the media would be like, well, it was necessary. These were radicals. Right. They, were, they were inciting, you know, incitement of riots.
3: But the coverage on this is so one-sided. You guys have seen it all through the weekend. There was a fire in Wisconsin at an, at an anti-abortion group. Did you see this? No. That, what is it? Um, so somebody threw a Molotov cocktail through the window and the, their their office started on fire. And Politico described it as, "quote A fire broke out Sunday at broke the out. office of an anti-abortion group in Madison, Wisconsin.
1: It broke out like a like they All, had a cooking accident,
2: right? Or like electrical fire. I mean, it was a mostly peaceful <laughs> Molotov. Yeah. But, but, yeah.
3: <laughs> but here, here's the th- here's the thing that really caught my eye." is that every single one of these news outlets seemed to carry the warning that was spray painted to the side of this this uh, office. The warning was, quote, if abortions aren't safe, then you aren't either. Every news outlet carried that warning. They as plastered that, it. As if they were echoing it themselves. Wow, I mean, where do you even begin with that? I don't know, but I'll tell you where the, the most liberal ardent activists began with it. There was a woman who tweeted, some of you guys may have seen this, she tweeted, More of this. May these people never know a moment of peace or safety until they rot in the ground.
1: Wow. Wait, and that's, who said that? That's her view.
3: This is I mean the, that's the battle cry the, the left a right reporter now. for a left leaning publication, any abortion activist.
1: But
2: I mean, wow. it gives you an idea of how yep. crazy these people have and, become. And, and that's the other thing is is the media is another institution that's been completely corrupted by these people. In it, I'd say to some extent it really reached almost like a crescendo under Trump because they all saw it as like a cash cow. Like if I want to be, you know, getting a book deal like all my buddies, I need to put out some crazy nutty <laughs> book that we all know is made up, like the Russian collusion. How many book deals were off that, you know, lie about Russia? Uh but now, economically, you're seeing that's not working for them. Like, it, it, they're, they're beyond reason at this point, where uh, Malone was telling CNN that, like, listen, you're going to start becoming a less partisan, you're going to become a serious news outlet, and there's going to be some cuts. You already saw CNN Plus was just, like, canned instantly. Yeah. Like, what is it going to take for these people to learn, like, beyond the moral ground of, of, of saying, you know, things like that, of just advocating the murder of people who oppose you? Beyond that, just for economic reasons. Well, did you
3: see what CNN wrote about? It didn't look like they learned their lesson here. This is CNN. This is CNN said law enforcement bracing for violence from the right following the Alito opinion. Wow.
1: Amazing. Um, This is the quote. They're closely monitoring social media chatter that suggests there's a potential for violence against abortion clinic providers, abortion clinic staff and members of the judiciary. Exactly. Opposite. Opposite is what's happening. Do they get? Do you think that there's like when they say violence from the far right that it's like one of those autofills at <laughs> CNN where they they were try like because yeah. if you put violence from the far left and then had that sentence, it would make perfect sense. It's like they're in a word
0: document and Clippy comes up and he goes, <laughs> "I think you meant to write far right." <laughs> Clippy, <laughs> Clippy, amazing! Oh,
1: that's such a well, blast. Are you trying talk. to
0: slander Republicans? <laughs> I think I can help. <laughs> you know, the little, little paper clip, and he had the yellow notepad. Uh, Clippy,
1: I forgot about Clippy. You dated yourself a little with Clippy. yeah.
2: Even Clippy has been corrupted by the left. They took Clippy. Well, listen, it's, it's not just CNN though. By the way,
3: can I just can I just share with people one other report of this woman named Nina Totenberg? She's been covering the yeah, news I, in Washington yeah. for a long time. This is her on the source of the Supreme Court leak. Quote the leading theory is a conservative clerk who was afraid that one of the more conservatives might be persuaded by Chief Justice Roberts to join the more moderate opinion. Are you kidding me? I'm not kidding you. The That's, leading theory. She, she said that on ABC. She said on this week, yesterday, on Sunday. That's the leading theory. Leading theory.
1: Well, you can't count on John Roberts for much, but but I'm really hoping that John Roberts goes through with this investigation and they get to the bottom of it because I mean, for one, the entire t- integrity of the Supreme court relies upon finding the person who did this and holding them accountable. Right. But, but two, it answers dumb questions like that. Like we're going to find out exactly who this person is and it is not going to be a surprise. I don't. And,
2: and I think, you know, the media has kind of been like leading the way on, on saying that this person's like a hero, whoever leaked it. Like it's amazing. uh, Like you saw, what's his name? Milhouse, Ian Milheiser, who was like, this brave hero who did an act, you know, oh. to save this country. who's It's basically just like burning down any sort of integrity in the Supreme Court. And they've been cheering that on.
1: Can you, can you imagine, just like step away for a second, can you imagine being the kind of person who has dedicated their entire being, like their activist, their life basically, to the issue of people having abortions? Like their entire point of view is that abortion is so good that I—, I that's the end all be all to what I care about. I just, I can't, like, it's hard for me to get my mind wrapped around it. Right. I mean, I perfectly understand how it is. A pro-life person comes to the conclusion that this is more important. If you believe a life is a life, then you believe this is murder. Mm-hmm. And like, I get it. There's probably no more important societal issue to come across. Now people have different views on all of that.
0: Like I can understand somebody the opposite being,
1: side, but I can understand somebody being, Pro-choice. Oh sure,
0: I, I really can. I, I can understand the way that their mind works. Yeah, I, can I do not that. agree with it at all. But what I but there's a difference between being pro-choice and and some of these pro, they're basically pro-abortion. But that's what, what I'm saying are. is that
1: is that these people are like bragging about their abortions, right? And then like
0: it, it's demonic, dude. I I don't understand where we where we are in, as in a culture as a society now that you have people on TikTok, you know, having
2: abortion parties with a cake. Yeah. Like,
0: that's, that is that is demonic
2: behavior. It is a very quick, very quick move from the left, from, what was it, safe, legal, and rare? Right. To celebrate. To, to shout your abortion. Yeah. And get a cake and TikTok
1: it. At any point during a pregnancy. I mean, recall, they just voted in the Senate, like, I don't know, last year, maybe the year before, about whether there should be any prohibition at any time. And every Democrat stood
2: <laughs> stood with them. Still like, yeah, nine months. Yeah,
1: that's no, fine. like, post-birth, no problem.
2: On the way to the hospital.
1: It's just its so radical. Yeah. It's just unbelievable. Well, anyway, the, the the big case that they're trying to make now is that this is going to be a big political loser. We covered that to some extent last week.
2: And and, and one thing I think that's also important to note is that Jen Psaki refused to say this is a bad idea. She, you know, when she's on the podium, she was like, well, listen, people are mad. Yeah, a lot of passion. They yeah, just have some passion. That's
0: it. She had the opportunity And I mean, what a coward and what a cowardly administration, you know, when you have an opportunity to basically clear the air and say, like, look, like violence is not the answer here. Um, You know, we 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 are going to go ahead and denounce people who are who are threatening members of the Supreme Court. Didn't do that. She's got her one foot out the door on the way to MSNBC.
2: You know, I, I know exactly why she didn't. And I, I, because she wants to, to go into primetime
0: and MSNBC and talk about this every night. She can't do that unless she stokes that fire. Well, more,
2: more, more specifically, she used to work at Demand Justice, right? She used to work at this left. You know, uh, right. a lot of our listeners already know about this left-wing dark money group, Demand Justice. Who they're the ones who pushed Breyer out, right? They're the ones who are celebrating this getting leaked. They're the ones who push getting uh the supreme packing the supreme court that can't be true that can't be true because
0: ashbrook just told me that the leading theory was that yeah, right right some sort of conservative intern was the one who did this <laughs> yeah you know of course they had this whole thing orchestrated on the left you know i mean every, right after this happens you had tweet after tweet statement after statement of people saying we have to pack the court we have to eliminate the filibuster graphics made right graphics made oh shit how the hell that happened weird
3: molotov cocktails because
2: the He's friends that demand justice have this wired up from day one. Bingo. Bingo.
1: Mostly peaceful
2: Molotovs. <laughs> Mostly. <laughs> I mean, that's a, this administration, so much of it is just like these dark money group alums being put in positions to enforce the will of, of, of the donors, of these left-wing donors. And and over the weekend, you had a—so so the New York Times had a great story a while back about how, you know, Democrat dark money is just— powering their elections at this point where they spent more using left-wing dark money than the dnc even spent and one of the largest funders of it is a foreign Swiss swiss national hans-jörg vis right yeah and we all know that the past couple months have basically been lib saying that like russia is the great evil of earth anyone who anyway supports russia or these oligarchs is one of the worst people ever hans-jörg vis over the weekend handed a boatload of cash to roman Abramovich, like the king of the russian oligarchs because he bought chelsea the football team. <laughs> it's just incredible just you won't incredible. hear you won't hear a single thing about that
1: that is an amazing tying of knots that you've done there, smug that i I can't I didn't put two and two together, but that's incredible. that's exactly what happened
2: yeah wow. I mean this the, the, the hip it's beyond hypocrisy. it's because these people have no values. they believe in nothing. and I think a lot of this like, pro-abortion rhetoric we've been seeing lately shows, I mean, these are just morally bankrupt people with no moral compass whatsoever. Yeah,
1: and the faux outrage. It, I mean, everything is just so it's so nuts. But here's the thing. Democrats think that they're going to galvanize a bunch of voters during this. And we told you last week why that's not going to be the case. For a variety of reasons, it's not going to be the case. But this is an interesting piece in Reuters. That is, suburban Phoenix is a cautionary tale for Democrats hoping to galvanize voters on abortion. They highlight this woman, Laura Wilson, uh, who is a mother of of three, who lives in the sprawling suburbs of North Phoenix, a hotly contested electoral area in Arizona that could decide which party controls the U.S. Senate after November's congressional elections. Wilson, 61, pro-choice, voted for Democratic President Joe Biden and knew all the news about last week's uh, uh, U.S. Supreme Court uh, likely decision to overturn landmark 1973 Roe v. Wade decision giving women the right to an abortion. Yet Wilson, this is this is interesting stuff. Yet Wilson said she's undecided about who she'll vote for in November, and abortion rights are not a priority for. Her. It's economy and jobs, Wilson said. She said she was disappointed in Biden uh, because of high inflation that too many and too many homeless people on the streets. Uh of course. Mm-hmm. Laura Wilson is a liberal Democrat who probably does not agree with almost anything that we have to say on the Variety program. Yep. But like we told you last week, if you can't, if you don't have a job, if you have to pay eight and a half percent for everything more than you than you used to, the idea of a bunch of like left wing lunatics standing out in front of Alito's house over the weekend, not a particularly compelling message. Right. Right.
0: But, the thing that's right in front of your face is going to decide how you vote. Yeah, it's just right. when, not what you see on CNN.
1: When you do everything wrong, when you take the top twenty issues that Americans care about, and every single thing this administration has done has made things demonstrably worse, mm-hmm. the idea that abortion is going to overrule all of that with your swing voter, let alone in this case a liberal
3: Democrat, is crazy. In some ways, you you wonder whether it inflames an already difficult situation for them because any normal person turns on the news and they you know everything costs so much and they're like. They see a bunch of protesting, <clears throat> excuse me, and it's not about prices. It's not about gas. It's not about groceries. It's not about stopping this administration from making their lives worse. It's about remanding the legality of abortion to states. What? I mean, <laughs> I- <laughs> <laughs> how about bring down the price of lettuce and eggs? It's
1: also, <laughs> it, it's also like we're jaded because we're in the middle of all this right. stuff, but it's got to be a little jarring to your average voter to see Chuck Schumer. And Elizabeth Warren and Joe Biden and the rest of them all become summoned more outrage and more anger and more activity around this issue than they have summoned about the price of anything, about the price of gas, even the availability of gas in some areas, the crisis at the border. Yep. Our foreign policy situation, crime in your neighborhood, in your streets. These people have not said word one about any of these issues that they've completely fucked up. But yet they're entirely engulfed by a Supreme Court decision that's not even really a Supreme Court decision yet.
0: Right. Wow. They, they only get really upset about fake stuff that's not real. Like, think about the only thing that comes close to this sort of like, level of fake outrage from the left is was uh you know the Georgia election law. Oh yeah, stuff. that was very you know, similar. You know, like uh, Georgia passed this election law and it's going to be Jim Crow 2.0, you know, if uh suppression. If, right, if 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 the decision of abortion is left to the legislatures of the states rather than decided by the Supreme Court, that's the handmaid's tale.
2: <laughs> you know what I mean?
0: It's like it's just fake. That all they really care about is fake stuff because they can't accomplish anything. So at the end of the day, Going into the midterms, they need something to mobilize the base, and, and, it's, and out, the it's just outrage. It's not accomplishment I mean,
2: th- there's a, another reason why they absolutely will not talk about any of those issues, or, or they're not out in the streets about any of those issues, is because they're responsible for all those problems.
1: They're responsible Every for Every single one. Yeah.
2: They pump cash into the system for ridiculous social programs. Uh, day one, Biden shuts down Keystone XL and basically makes it known that if you are an oil producer, if you work... In in any sort of energy domestically, you know, you, you're in their crosshairs. They're trying to. They've already have done a significant job of dismantling uh, U.S. energy independence. We're no longer energy independent. Yep. We used to be energy independent in this country, and Joe Biden day one made it his mission to cripple us. And now they want to buy energy from. The whole reason we got out of this quagmire is is, is we weren't wanting to give money to countries that hate us anymore. It, it, And he's like, no, okay, here, as long as U.S. jobs are not the ones responsible for this energy, it's okay. Import that. Yeah.
1: It also does one last thing. And this is sort of the insider stuff. You don't get anywhere else under the Variety program. It also unmasks and gets you under the hood on what constitutes a winning Democratic coalition. Mm -hmm. Right. They believe everything is in a silo. It's a silo of women. It's a silo of black voters. It's a silo of Hispanic voters. And they take all of these outrages and they try to jam them into each one of these silos and they try to get loud enough to convince everybody that it's true, right? For example, illegal immigration is an anathema to Hispanic, Hispanic voters want an open border. Right. And they yell it loud enough for 20 years and everybody sort of believes that some kind of comprehensive immigration reform is the way to go. It's inevitable. It's inevitable because all these growing right. Hispanic. So right. now but now you look and like, no, clearly Hispanic voters do not want illegal immigration. They actually like safe communities. Right. Yeah. It's without like
0: all these assumptions are actually fake.
1: Right. Yeah. But, but this is their women bucket. Right. Right. So it's not it's it's about convincing the narrative of the mainstream media and everybody else that anything pro choice is women is equals to pro women, right? Right, and then they changed the narrative entirely that it's now healthcare for women, right? Right. Nobody's ever asked the women what they think about <laughs> this shit, but that's their women bucket. So it has nothing to do with what they're trying to do with the economy or anything else or any accomplishments whatsoever. It's about dra- giant jamming an outrage into one of these buckets. You mentioned the Georgia voting law, black bucket, right? Mm-hmm. Right, we if we yell it loud enough and we scream loud enough about how this is racist, right, yep. even though it has absolutely no racial connotation whatsoever, right, then we fill that bucket. And
0: specifically to your point, Holmes, on that, uh, a voter ID, right, and and, and ev- you had every white liberal who's on television saying, "Well, voter ID is racist, targeting black voters," and then what? What happened? A few weeks go by, then Clyburn's out there, African American. <laughs> democrat you know leader one of the leaders in the house oh well black people don't care about voter id that's fine with us right and then the narrative just falls apart and you realize how fake it all was from the beginning they're like shut
1: up that goes in our bucket right
0: (laughs) no no we're helping you don't you
1: know how much we're helping you that's in our bucket it has nothing to do with improving the lives of anybody in the african-american community absolutely in this case it has absolutely nothing to do with improving women's health care right And and the issue with immigration obviously has nothing to do with improving Hispanic communities. Like, they don't care about that shit. All they care about is filling these silos that make up a coalition that they think and they hope can get to 51, regardless of whether they send this country straight to hell in a handbasket. Yeah. I mean,
2: honestly, I'm just happy that women are back, like— it wasn't that long ago we had a Supreme Court justice during a hearing being like, "I'm not a biologist. You know? I can't define. I don't know that. what a woman is." It is. I mean, how re- did we get here? It is. And they're like, amazing. "Wait a minute, exactly." And it's it's because like you just described, they want to agitate the woman bucket. Oh, right? uh, It's incredible because they can't say, "Folks, we have to stand up for birthing bodies." Like this one crazy ass like state. <laughs> only the state legislators haven't gotten the memo because all the polling, <laughs> yeah. you know that the, the D trip and everyone's passing around. State legislators don't get that. So she was like birthing bodies. And and the, her replies are just so great. There were so many. I'm a Democrat. Man, but what this? the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> on
1: Mother's Day weekend, no less.
2: I mean, like it's birthing bodies. Like what a horrific. Like you want to talk about handmaid's tale? That sounds like some handmaid's tale jargon. <laughs> like, Listen, birthing bodies. This is an important issue to them. Who the hell says something like this? Uh, the other
1: angle on this, which we talked about last week, was the corporate angle. And a friend of the program, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, who we've had on before, he's a really smart guy. You've probably seen him on Fox News. Um, he tweeted out that apparently Fast Company—I don't know if Fast Company—but apparently this p- place called Fast the Company, publication, right?
2: Yeah,
0: yeah. It's like it's like one of those like business. Magazines.
1: Okay. Yeah. So, like, if you're a CEO, you sit around reading Fast Company. Not really. <laughs> I mean, what a fucking waste of time. This is for
0: this is for people to read at the airport and fall asleep with it the, on their lap. Yeah. It's
1: before they get on the PJ. Yeah. Uh, apparently, Fast Company is calling corporate PR departments and twisting their arms to take public stances on abortion. Are you serious? Yeah. They phrase it as a poll of de- of corporate leaders.
2: Oh my God! And if that they, is insane. And
1: if they hesitate, they follow up by telling them they'll publish the the company declined to participate. So they're they're the ones that are out forcing <laughs> corporate America to take a stance on this. And what we said last week rings true, and you've seen it.
2: Is that woke corporate bullshit of like the was it ESG where they're trying to enforce wokeness right on companies and and. and- what's the media doing they're fulfilling their role mm-hmm. which is to defend the, the, to, de- the
1: enforcer yeah they gotta go put they gotta together. be
0: the muscle out there saying hey we're just asking questions yeah yeah are, are you in favor of uh this supreme court decision or do you defend women
1: yeah yeah we, we <laughs> understand that you sell toilet paper right <laughs> so uh, obviously you're weighing in on roe v wade right
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah. it's very important as a as a as a company that puts yeah. out toilet paper, that you take a stand, I would love we need to, to hear.
0: I'd love to know what Ashbrook thinks about this because you know, I mean, he's our media expert here, and I, I just think it's a fascinating part of the media industry that a lot of people aren't familiar with is how much, like, these reporters can manufacture a story mm-hmm. based on how they choose to ask questions. Totally. And,
3: well, it's all completely made up. <laughs> and, and
2: one of the folks who's been making people aware about this ESG situation is Elon on Twitter. Yeah. Elon Musk has been discussing how completely absurd the situation is. And you saw the media, was, was it over the weekend that they published, the New York Times published a story where they're like, Elon Musk came from South Africa, a country known oh, for I apartheid. Saw that. Oh, that. that was unbelievable. Where it's the most insane framing of a story, again, because they want to make, you know, uh, uh, they want to hold the line for the left on having an absolute chokehold on what people are allowed to see or hear. They're like, Elon Musk came from a land of racism. (laughs) Like apropos of nothing. And and his father was an anti-apartheid activist. (laughs) But they forgot to be like, hey, listen, the headline is he came from... And like, what kind of framing is that? Are you going to say this about like, listen, folks, we've got some refugees from countries that are not exactly very much with human rights. (laughs) I don't know if we should be letting these folks in. Of course you're not going to be hearing that. You're not going to be hearing that from them.
1: I mean, ultimately for the high crime and misdemeanor of purchasing a company who is trying to censor conservative voices, well, they say they're not. That's the best part. The best part about this whole purchase and the outrage of Elon Musk is that he he himself bought the company to try to— Basically, highlight the fact that what they're saying is not true,
2: and he has so so accomplished that. If it so was clearly. not true,
1: why would they be so angry? Bingo, you know, uh, it's incredible. You guys want some animal news?
2: Yes, always.
1: There's a mutant monster, violent hamster. Um, so I don't even know how to get into this, but apparently, um, what is this CRISPR? Thing? CRISPR,
0: yeah, gene editing
1: is that what that is?
0: Yeah, that's all I know.
1: So there's gene editing to a brain that creates aggressive hamsters. And they've done they've done this thing I don't even know what this publication is. P N A S. dot org. I don't know what it is. But anyway the t- PNA, get your mind out of it. <laughs> it's, a, it's not what you think it is. It Little, some
0: snickering in the background. Do back not of the phonetically,
1: classroom. do not phonetically type that into your browser while you're listening. By the way, I feel I have a feeling you're going to get something you don't want.
0: <laughs> it's hold on, hold on. I found, I found, it's the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences of the United States of America. Yeah, oh.
2: PNAS, pe- That's what I said. No, Everybody knows. Come up with a different name. I mean, that is one that, like, you know it was just a bunch of scientists in a room that came up with that one.
1: Imagine,
2: imagine being the spokesman
0: for PNAS. If, any, if anyone from PNAS is listening, you should hire us to think up a new name. Honestly, they're
2: like... Imagine getting a, a phone call. This is the CEO of PNAS. <laughs> you,
1: gotta, you really got to keep your eye on Big Penis. They are a they are a monster in this industry.
0: Where's Penis on this? Someone get a hold of Penis. <laughs>
1: Jesus. I don't even No, I, I don't guarantee even know what they're McDaniel doing. McDaniel
2: did not imagine this is where we would go when he put just a simple link to the story. <laughs> Very sorry. Very sorry. Very sorry. Apparently.
1: Uh, they do some gene editing, and they've created a a, a much uh, more aggressive hamster, which, in my view, is far less interesting than the name of the organization <laughs> that reported.
2: This. Okay, so 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 McDaniel actually included an image. Are you seeing this?
1: Yeah. yeah, it's kicking the shit. One hamster is kicking the shit out of the other hamster.
2: The video or like this image, this still is incredible. Yeah, it's like a hamster fight club. Like the the the, the like aggressive hamster looks like it got up on its hind legs and just like threw a right hook. They well, they've the done other- all
1: this like gene editing to create this, didn't they? You just needed some brown liquor, where <laughs> I came from, <laughs> right? I mean, you just fill a couple of pints of Jack Daniels into their watering hole, and I think you'd get the same result.
2: I, you know, I, I'm thinking, it, it'd be ethical, right? To gene edit animals, if you're, they're just gene edited to have them fight each other, as like you know, entertainment. Oh, this is where you're going with this.
3: <laughs> yeah. So this is this is it's very interesting. Of that course, you bring this Ashbrook up. is into this. Very interesting. The, that you bring the, this the up.
0: pro dog
3: racing guy's gonna <laughs> yeah. be all over. He's this.
2: like, listen, animal lives are worth nothing. <laughs> very
3: very interesting <laughs> that you bring this up because Smug, there has to be a path to be able to go to each continent and find the toughest guy and the toughest animal, pit them against each other in a battle in a ring. And broadcasted worldwide.
1: I think we'd have to do
3: it on a ship. I th- you're right. I think in international waters. Yeah, it's yeah. 100% got to be international waters. But water. can you imagine, like the toughest guy that we could find in Canada, like a Mountie, like with a hat, and he fights a grizzly bear? Can you can you imagine the toughest guy that we could find in Africa, and they fight like a lowland silverback gorilla? <laughs> Everybody would watch that. I mean, everybody I'd pay for, would watch But I that.
2: really think animals win in this. Like, I mean if you're going you, for the top A Lowland
1: each- gorilla, you do not want to fight.
2: I would I just want to here's
1: my thing. I want to see all that, but I want to do the play by play. Right? I would love to have the the play by play of the gorilla ripping the arms off the guy, <laughs> beating him with
3: it. <laughs> <laughs> my god. Right? I mean, because you know that would happen. It would happen. Well, maybe not. Maybe if the guy was if he was up to it. <clears throat> oh, oh, like, I don't know. You know, and the kangaroo thing is another one. Kangaroo would be perfect. You know, a real a real swimming race be- between a swimmer and a shark. Remember how Michael Phelps didn't actually swim against a yeah, shark? Fake news. What, what if Katie Ledecky actually did?
1: Yeah, we put him in the same tank. Race for your lives. I don't know that Ledecky would be down board with that, but we could find somebody. Listen, this is a good ruthless idea. You guys are in on a brainstorming session. We're yeah, going to see like, if we can't w- find ways
2: to fight animals. What if the most dangerous game, but sending humans to fight the animal like of hunting down the guy you send a gorilla after him <laughs> I, I I I like the broad strokes of this but I think
0: we need the experts at PNAS to <laughs> <wait>. <laughs>
3: They
0: could be the principal sponsor Yeah You've
1: never never seen a better analysis of PNAS uh, than the one that they provide It's
0: If you're I'm sorry if you're listening
1: to this with kids but Yeah but you do better when you're in. Um, all right, let's get an update on this crazy Ministry of Truth uh, issue that we've been dealing with. You recall last week we talked about how there's going to be a new disinfo government board uh, headed by this Nina Jankowitz lady, who honestly is like a like a, I mean, how do you describe her? I described her as basically like a like a child Saturday morning fever dream production. Yeah, and that's basically. I mean, if you haven't seen her, you should watch a YouTube of it. it like you'll swear you're watching
2: blimpy she's basically like the final boss of awful left-wing white women blimpy like like the ultimate wine mom right who's out there trying to cause trouble
0: like forced to watch a thousand hours of rachel maddow
1: oh yeah blimpy with a thousand hours of rachel maddow that's what she is yeah that's exactly right god
3: that's that's exactly what she is
1: well anyway she uh promoted trump russia collusion claims including the uh, sharing the debunked Alpha Bank oh. claims in 2016, and praising Schiff's 2017 speech, reading uh, discredited Steele dossier claims into the Congressional Record. If that's not disinformation, nothing is.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you're a listener to this, and, and we've obviously talked a lot about Russia Gate and how it was all fake, and there's a lot of people who perpetuated this stuff. If you want to find out if somebody's like a real OG lunatic like if the brain worms are truly uncut and living inside them. Right. Two things. If they've ever promoted the Alpha Bank claim oh, yeah. or if they've ever tweeted about a smoking gun in Prague, those are the oh, two yeah. things that you know oh, yeah. you know that person has sincere, sincerely lost their minds.
1: Sincerely lost their minds. <laughs> I mean, so Brendan Carr in our, in our interview gets into all of this. But, yes. but honestly, the fact that this woman was considered for this role. First of all, the fact that the role exists, but then layer in somebody who has done alpha bank promotion. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like that's the craziest. That's like, I mean, literally that's like having my pillow guy do the same thing. Right. Isn't it basically the same thing? It's like some, somebody who's got completely discredited stuff. And then they're in charge of it for the nation and allowed to tell,
0: It'd be like Sidney Powell claiming that uh, the Venezuelans uh, and C- and Hugo Chavez are the ones who stole the election, and then being appointed to a position like this.
1: It's a, there's no difference.
0: There's there's literally no difference.
1: Can you imagine the case if if, if Sidney Powell or the My Pillow <laughs> guy were, were appointed to a position like this? I mean, would, would the world talk about anything else?
2: Right. So so I'm reminded of I don't know if anyone saw any of it. I I I, I briefly saw a few minutes and just could not believe how insane this was the Showtime had a movie or a, a series a couple of years back was uh, Comey rules about like it was basically every it was it was it was acted they had actors there to act out all this and in hindsight everyone knows this is absolute bullshit but the whole Russiagate bullshit right and uh, it was the most absurd shit you've ever seen like I'm I, I really should go back and see it now that it's become crystal clear all the dossier all that was fake but these lips were so in their own like silos of chasing this Oh gosh, there's a P tape because you gotta hear, you know, Trump is a KGB agent. But this Comey Rules miniseries was the funniest, craziest like, shit. Unintentionally unintentionally hilarious. hilarious. But they believed all of it. Like word for word, they're like, Yes, this is all true. <laughs> I mean, it's almost like the West Wing problem where they don't realize this is supposed to be a comedy. <laughs> but 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 they were serious about this like it ends with like two Russians meeting at you know the world War II, uh what you call it uh memorial? memorial. yeah just like clinking glasses like we've won comrade oh my oh, god. god it is that insane bro oh. and this lady is basically that she's, she's like, like that Kobe sort of rule person. yeah she' is like the that sort of nutty. person
0: remember when they were on Broadway they were gonna do like um the America reads the Mueller report oh on Broadway <laughs> I bet you this chick's gotten to
1: one of those I
2: forgot <laughs> about I gave it a standing that. ovation <laughs> incredible
1: incredible oh, i kind of hope she gets like started in the gig because again a republican congress with her in front in a panel trying to testify yes. would be the single best viewing you could ever i've come imagine.
0: around i've come around to this holmes I, I mean like you've raised a really good point plumbing the depths of her insanity
2: uh would be fantastic with some theatrical flair right and, and along these lines of disinformation uh greg price tweeted out the, these great screenshots. It's, uh, according to the new White House press secretary, the 2016 election and 2018 Georgia gubernatorial elections were both stolen. This is from Queen wow. uh, Jean-Pierre. She's still got the tweets up. Uh, one of them says, Reminder, Brian Kemp stole the gubernatorial election from Georgians and Stacey Abrams. Oh. And the other one, uh, the other tweet from December 17th, 2016 says, Stolen emails, stolen drones, stolen election. Welcome to the world of hashtag unprecedented Trump. I mean, <laughs> she's now the spokesperson. Yeah, she's for the, now White the House, spokesperson for the White employee. House, a government employee, and she's going to have to go up there and be like, "Here's what we need." Right, a uh, Ministry of Truth, folks. Right we, we we need we need a Ministry of Truth to stop
0: the big lie that elections can be stolen. Of course, I've said elections can be stolen. I've I've said it multiple times. But now it's my job to tell you that's impossible.
2: <laughs> I, I want I want <laughs> Ducey to ask her to read her tweets and be like, "Would would this be considered disinformation by the Ministry?" Of Truth? <laughs>
1: I, I this is why we need her. This yeah. is why we need her. Holmes
0: you nailed it. Yes. Because
1: she's now the person who's in charge. Because you can't really pin down like Saki's been living with those tweets for four years and nobody's asked. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like this lady, she, that's her job now. Right? So we're gonna have to we're gonna oh I can't wait. I cannot wait. Um all right. So did you guys follow this bizarre story? I this is amazing. Goodwill sold a bust which is basic, you know, it's just like a... It's a, a statue. A statue, dude, chest up. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like they have in the Capitol of all of the vice presidents. Uh, they sold a bust for thirty four ninety nine, dollars uh, and it turned out this thing was an ancient Roman
2: relic. Incredible. Wow. Yeah.
1: Laura Young was browsing through Goodwill Store in Austin, Texas in 2018 when she found a bust for sale. It was resting on the floor under a table and had a yellow price tag on its uh, cheek. 34.99. She bought it. Turns out it wasn't just another heavy stone curio uh, suitable for plunking in the garden. It was an actual Roman bust from the late 1st century BC, early 1st century AD.
2: Amazing.
1: Uh incredible. Incredible. So so they had their hands on this thing. I do we have any idea what the value of this sucker That's what is? That's I'm,
2: I'm I'm scanning this. McDaniel, why did you not put a price tag on this? I
1: mean, it's got to be
2: priceless. I'm trying to look. Right? Right. I, I want to find ROI on a thirty-five dollar bus that ends up being a first century BC or AD Roman bus. Oh my god! You well,
3: know, I just it makes you wonder. Um, you know, fifty thousand years from now, if somebody's uh, just sort of looking through some goodwill somewhere and they find Spiro Agnew's bust, <laughs> just they're <laughs> like, oh well, this was an American vice president. <laughs> Walter Mondale. <laughs> I, I get to have the whole collection.
1: <laughs> let's hope it never ends in Goodwill. Let's I really just, hope that. Let's just say that. but But what's so fascinating about this is that how it got to Texas remains a mystery. The most likely path is it was taken by an American soldier after the Bavarian King's villa in Germany yeah, was, that's what it says. was bombed.
2: They believe that the bust was a part of a Bavarian King's art collection from the 19th century until it was looted during World War II.
1: Yeah, so some dude brought it back to Texas. Hey, hats yeah. off. Good flying. So find. we took a Nazi
0: king's bust uh, from uh, a Roman bust from a Nazi king. That is so cool.
1: Yeah. and then it God, America's ed- the best. Yeah. And it ended up in goodwill. Yeah. Oh, it's just a terrific. Now, it turns out uh, next year it will be returned to the Bavarian government under an agreement with Miss Young. That's bullshit. That ended her own complex relationship
2: with the ancient mm-hmm. artifact. Uh, I, well, if, if she gets fair market value. I mean, it's fair if she gets fair market value. There's nothing in here that says that.
1: No, it seems to me like she's giving it away. I don't know. It, whatever it is. She should have put it on Masterworks. She
2: should <laughs> have put it on Masterworks. <laughs> this is a free plug
1: for our friends at Masterworks. She should have put it on Masterworks. It would have been a, a, an incredible investment opportunity. Yeah. I would
2: I would demand the king of Bavaria come in person to collect it. If if the king of Bavaria wants it back, he can come here and ask for it. <laughs> And you're in Texas, I'd be like, fuck it. He can try and take it. <laughs>
1: yeah. Come
0: and take it. You know, the flag,
2: but with the Roman
3: bust. Um,
1: all right. so. They might
3: be trading bratwurst and a couple of steins of beer for that.
1: <laughs> we hadn't planned on this, but I feel like we need to. Um, I hope all of you have taken advantage of the Predict It uh, promo that we have with a free 20 bucks. Yes. It's uh, predictit.org slash promo slash ruthless20. Um, and you get your free 20 bucks because here's the deal. All these primaries are coming fast and furious. There is a lot of good stuff to bet on,
2: and I know I'm getting involved. I have already gotten very heavily involved into a race. I mean, I think in the interest, I don't know, we can discuss the ethics of it right now. Like, in the interest of remaining unbiased, because we bring all Republican candidates on the show. They've all been on. Because, like, all, you know, if you're in a Republican primary, the mainstream media is not going to let you you know get word out let you speak your mind you come here you speak your mind and, and and let the voters decide right so i mean i've for for example in arizona i'm i'm very heavily involved in in predicted betting on on the arizona senate primary but i don't know the ethics of like should we be allowed to say who, well who I, feel like on I, or, I feel or does like or would it influence voters and it's so funny that we
0: got so far along this process but never even thought about any of
1: that. well you know here's the thing I feel like you can't say you are betting on this person because then you know that shows a lot of bias. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think we can talk about the market conditions, and we can talk about the race at large, wide open race. Yeah, there is some decent prices out there for a lot of different things. I mean, to be just give you an example, right? In this Pennsylvania Senate race. It has been a head-to-head match between Oz and McCormick for like four months. Mm-hmm. Head-to-head beating the hell out of each other. There was a poll that came out over the weekend showing that Kathy Barnett, remember we had her on the program? Oh, my
2: God. I can't believe I didn't check predicted on that. Yeah. After that poll dropped. Yeah. She was like a rocket.
1: And so all of a sudden, she went to like 20 percent. It's like a three-person race, right? The uh, pr- I haven't even checked predicted on this, oh, but man. I gotta imagine. I, I, I'm pulling it up right now. She was one. I know for the fact that last week she was one cent. No so way, dude. So she, today,
3: today she surpassed McCormick. I
0: just pull. I just pulled it up. She's at trading at 33 cents. Are now. you serious? So there you go.
1: There's a lot of money to be dude, made M- there.
0: McCormick, who who's been neck and neck with Oz, is down to 22 cents.
1: So she's trading above McCormick considerably.
0: Yes, amazing. And Oz is at 53 cents. Just to get you sense of the
1: market so here's the thing folks there's i mean we're going to talk about all these races you've already heard all the interviews and remember when we got done with her interview saying like her story i don't know it she right had
3: a, she was a great interview
1: the way she tells it was very very compelling yeah, she had a great, great great interview now i don't personally know anything about her other <laughs> than the interview that we just did so i have no idea whether i could vouch for the veracity of any of that stuff but you know she was going to make some kind of move at some point So if you're if you are a ruthless listener, you've got some inside info there.
2: Oh, my God. I'm looking at the the, the one week chart where on May 30, you could have picked her up for six cents. Yeah. And now she's at 33.
1: Right. A huge.
2: On May 6th. May 6th.
0: And now it's we're recording this the night of May 9th. Yeah. Wow. Three days. Three days ago.
1: Well, we're going to spend some time Thursday talking Pennsylvania, too, because we want to get involved and give you some, some more idea other than just Predict It on that. But the point of Predict It, I think, is is validated by this one story, right?
2: Yeah, I mean, man. Incredible. That's a good point. I forgot to even look at that. Once that poll dropped, everyone was just, like, stunned by it. Yeah. but I'm, You should have been right I on to Predict, to predict. It. <laughs> it. should have been on predicted What's It. What's, that? That? What's the promo okay. again? It
1: is uh, predicted.org slash promo slash ruthless20. Yes. That's you it. You got that memorized You're yeah, Really well, good. At done, this. It, done it enough. You're a professional. I mean, that's what we do here. That's what we do. Um, last thing. Space nudes. Is this another story about PNAS? <laughs> it it could be. It could be. This is in the sun. Uh, NASA is uh, to launch naked pictures of humans uh, to space in hopes of attracting aliens. <laughs> So NASA scientists plan to launch pictures of naked humans into space in the hopes that uh, they're luring aliens to us. I think they got to be very careful about which pictures I, they're sending. <laughs> Me. There are some naked pictures probably that would do the opposite to the aliens. Why do we want to lure aliens to us? I agree. And I thought we had a longstanding fear of the probes.
0: Well, all I'm saying is if they have the technology to reach us, they are
1: far superior to us. If if they do, they already know what the naked condition looks like. Well,
0: not just that, but they've achieved you know faster than light travel. They got to be pretty advanced. Uh, I think beyond the naked uh, penis, <laughs> um, I think the issue really is that they would probably murder us.
1: Do you think you think they're using penis to lure the aliens? I don't feel like that might. You not think be they're in, the in that uh, might not be our best. Uh, they could be this is, could be one of those disinformation campaigns where they're trying they're trying to keep the aliens away.
3: <laughs> I'm guessing. I, I think NASA is really struggling because Elon Musk, Bezos, everybody's going to space but them. They're yeah. like they're like, and, I and got a good are, idea. They are just they're just reaching for content so that they can get people to retweet them. <laughs>
1: we got some, <laughs> some, some got some naked. NASA's Polaroids. down bad. We just need to retweet them. <laughs> Oh, I love it. I love it. All right. So, um, listen, we're going to get to this interview. We toyed around with playing King of the Hill today because of the Steve Schmidt meltdown over the weekend.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, someone did an analysis, and I think for over something like thirty-six hours, there was not a gap greater than one hour between his tweets. For th- <laughs> like, it's a real yeah,
1: it's a real issue. As the current champion and holder of Steve Schmidt. I felt great about it. Yeah. Uh, There is some content in there that is truly remarkable. Genuinely. He
2: even mentioned you by name.
1: On he several at
2: Oh did were there multiple several So occasions. this is also why we can't have it you know the rule is excuse me the rule is that like you know I am uh, the uh, sir I player, am. if mentioned by the champion This is outrageous This is just pure <laughs> gaslighting I'm <going> also <laughs> I am judge and jury
0: of this game Do not tell me the rules <laughs> I
2: love that he just said the
0: rules
1: are The rules are As everyone knows <laughs> many people are saying So we're trying to figure out how to handle this for Thursday
0: No, this is sincere. We really are trying to figure out how we're going to handle this, and I think it's going to be fantastic.
1: Because there's also a lot of defamatory content in there. Yes. uh, About yours truly. (laughs) And there are some attorneys that are interested in taking a different tact than the one we
2: have planned for Thursday. Yes. Which is a good point because we need to make sure.
4: (laughs) (laughs) For legal reasons. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> and To be clear, it's not
1: our legal li- exactly. liability. It's, oh, it's, no. it's, it's,
2: it's the problem is on Schmidt's end on this one. Yeah,
1: he's got a whole host of prob- potentially a lot of big problems. I and mean, based on that thread, he's got a lot of problems. He's got a lot of problems. He's got a lot of problems. There's, there's people coming for him in all in all areas. But uh, we'll shelve it for the time being. We'll just leave you with that teaser. Thursday is going to be a banger, so do not miss that. Uh, let's go to this interview with Brendan Carr. I want to welcome to the program uh, a guy who we've been interested in having on for quite some time. Um, For close listeners of the program, you've noted that we've interacted with your Twitter account a fair amount. You've got a really solid Twitter account, particularly for a guy who uh, makes a living in the bowels of the federal regulatory area, Uh, Brendan Carr with the Federal Communications Commission. Welcome. Welcome.
4: Well, thanks much for having me. You guys are doing such a phenomenal job. I'm a big, big fan of the program. You guys launched, you know, obviously the end of 2020, into 2021, not necessarily riding high in the hog for a lot of conservatives. <laughs> yeah. And you guys uh, carry people through a lot of low times and uh, it's a beloved program and rightfully so well
1: I, you know i i take that not only as a compliment which i appreciate but having somebody at the fcc appreciate the content boy that's like a doofer right
4: well there you go well luckily you know our jurisdiction over uh, indecent material does not extend to the <laughs> podcast realm which is pretty good and hopefully i won't say anything here that will require the the dump button <laughs> be the you? first fcc commissioner uh, to get fined uh for some indecency hopefully we, we'll avoid that we
1: certainly don't have a dump button so <laughs> so uh just keep that in mind yep uh, The first thing you did here is compliment the size of our TV, which, listen, all of our listeners understand when we did our first live stream, there was a lot of um, comments on the size of our television set. But here we have Brendan Carr of the FCC looking at our television set saying, it's it's of good size.
4: Well, I thought you'd upgrade it. It, it looks a lot bigger than it did on, on the live stream, so congrats <laughs> on that.
1: Perfect. All right. So that's, listen, if we're going to verify, that's how you do it. You okay. get a FCC commissioner to, to, to vouch for the size of your television. Um, listen, there's a lot of exciting stuff going on in your world. Um, why don't we start with free speech, writ large, let's bring it into Musk and Twitter. And I just want your thoughts on all of this because we all have a lot of thoughts, but from your vantage point, I'm particularly interested.
4: We're at a a difficult point culturally when it comes to free speech in this country. And for me, it goes back to the New York Times. If you go back to the modern day op-ed, it launched in 1970 on the pages of the New York Times. Why? Because the editor said, I want divergent views. I want opinions that are be different than you would get from our editors. John Oakes was the editor at the time. He gave a speech where he said, diversity of opinion is the lifeblood of democracy. The moment we insist that everybody think the same way we do, our democratic way of life is in jeopardy. That was a very liberal, very progressive view. And there has been a 180 taking place in this country (laughs) culturally. Uh, and I think that's something that we have to talk about. There's things we can do from a, a legal perspective, I think, some pro-speech protections, but also culturally, this idea that we have to embrace the ability to uh, appreciate other people's views.
1: Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny that you mentioned the, the shift that's going on. I mean, I remember in the early 2000s when Leader McConnell sued the Federal Election Commission over First Amendment concerns. And... All of the lefty groups were the ones that held the flag with them, the ACLU and, and everybody else. That seems impossible to imagine today.
4: Well, you're right. And I go back to, you know, 2012, uh, President Obama went to Facebook's Palo Alto headquarters and he gave a speech and he talked about the free flow of information on the Internet being, in his words, key to a healthy democracy. Now, flash forward a couple of miles down the road to Stanford in a couple of years, just the last week or so. President Obama went back out there and gave a speech at Stanford where he talked about the free flow of information on the internet being a threat to democracy. So 2012, healthy. 2022, a threat. Well, what happened? Well, I think one thing that happened in the middle there is the 2016 presidential election, and people decided that this free flow of information, divergent views, people thinking for themselves, getting around established gatekeepers, That's it. was producing outcomes at the ballot box that they didn't like. And so you're seeing this significant Tightening around free speech in this country, and I, and I think that's that's a problem.
1: How much you the gatekeeping thing? I think is a hundred percent right because you know, as you see from White House correspondence dinners and everything else, the, the gatekeepers they all get along, right? They've got a right. there's a, by and large a pretty clear view about what gatekeeping means to the political elite in this country. How concerned, from your vantage point, is it, it, are you that these gatekeepers and, and people in power basically are going to try to use the levers of government in order to just reestablish a, a 1950s brand of, of gatekeeping where you've got, you know, basically nobody other than themselves speaking freely?
4: Yeah, we've long had, you know, establishment media gatekeepers in this country and free speech on the internet lets you go around them and those media gatekeepers woke up to it maybe a little bit late they realized that that second or third home isn't going to pay for itself they need to maintain their job of telling us what to think and that's what people are saying when elon musk has uh, agreed to buy twitter or vice versa i think it's really exposed this fundamental free speech divide in this country where conservatives now want less political censorship on big tech a lot of uh, incumbent media gatekeepers—they've been very afraid about this because they want to continue to drive the political narrative. We're seeing all sorts of reactions. People have come to the FCC asking us to block the transaction. They have said, "I've you know, seen that." We have authority under the uh, the Telegraph Act of 1860 <laughs> to do it. You know, they could have thrown the kitchen sink in, but I guess I thought maybe that would have been a bridge too far. <laughs> they've called on the FTC to block it, the DOJ to block it, and these people aren't interested in a neutral application of competition law or antitrust law. They are very happy with the type of political censorship that's taking place right now. What Elon Musk has said, for instance, is he wants to end political bias on Twitter. That's Mm -hmm. really not that controversial of an idea, and yet people have had all sorts of uh, unbelievable reactions to it. And for years, we were told there is no political discrimination on social media. Now we're told, well, of course, there's political discrimination on social media. We need to keep it going. (laughs)
1: which is amazing right because there's always been this this concern rightfully so by conservatives about the lack of transparency over algorithms the um subjectivity of blocking and banning and most all of this has just come up in the last couple of years obviously like during the end of the trump administration basically is when they put a focal point on it you've seen all of this happen from your vantage point i mean how dangerous do you think this this whole thing is
4: I'm really worried about it. There's a couple of, of pinpricks that we're seeing of activity. Obviously, the the DHS Disinformation Board.
1: Oh, geez, yeah,
4: is one of them. I and mean, obviously, that is Orwellian. It's un-American. It's unconstitutional. And it's been a bit of a lightning rod and galvanized people's attention. But there's really a broader game at foot. I mean, you have Jen Saki standing at the White House podium saying that they are in regular contact at senior levels of the White House with large technology companies over their content moderation. They're flagging posts. You had the DHS back in February putting out a uh, terrorist bulletin sweeping in First Amendment protected speech as a threat to the domestic homeland. You've got Hmm. CISA, Cyber Security Agency, talking about disinformation. So these aren't isolated examples. There's a very broad move taking place in this government right now to try to censor divergent views. COVID-19 was a great excuse. They talked about medical misinformation and they sort of used that as the tip of the spear. And then they started expanding into general, you know, political views as well. So I do think this is all a, a pretty big danger we have to push back. On.
1: Yeah. Yeah, well, I think about this, you mentioned Jen Psaki from the podium saying that they were in regular contact with 10 companies, you know, presumably Facebook or, or something, you know, similar to Facebook, flagging what they say is dif- disinformation at the same time sort of promoting the open question about whether they should be subjected to some kind of antitrust laws and things like that. I mean, isn't that just effectively kind of a gun to the head of, of social media companies saying like, look, you better flag this stuff, you better play by our set of rules, or we got a government that's going to spend a lot of time looking into all kinds of
4: things. This is the real threat to free speech in this country. It is not today a law passed by Congress, in part because obviously we have the First Amendment right there to stop it. The real threat is what I call legislating by letterhead or bullying or working the Mm -hmm. ref. And I think there's an awful lot of conversations taking place right now. Maybe we'll get some discovery in this. I know some of the uh, members of Congress have sent letters to large technology companies. I know that there's an attorney general's group that filed a lawsuit last week that effectively says, look, there's a line of First Amendment precedents where If you are coordinating with these private actors to censor speech, they are effectively state actors and therefore they are limited Mm. by the First Amendment itself. I don't know if all the evidence is there, but there's certainly enough that we should do some discovery. And I think, you know, when Elon Musk, if he completes this purchase, maybe there's some more information there. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised right now if uh, in Silicon Valley around Twitter's headquarters there's a run on shredder trucks and burn bags uh, when <laughs> comes to some of the stuff that's been taking place.
1: <laughs> I would think. I mean, it looks like they got a fair amount to hide, just judging by the reaction that everybody's had of the purchase itself. Um, you know, what's interesting about Twitter, too, is it... it and you know, because you're a prolific user of it and, and easily the most entertaining uh, member of the federal government on there right now. Um, but it's become, you know, political Twitter is a thing, right? It, it, it actually either reinforces biases from political journalism that ch- tries to tell the, the, the people basically what's going on here, or it's just it's sort of a, a, a kind of first level of discussion and discourse that happens in real time on our politics, And so, I got to imagine this Musk deal, from your vantage point, is going to give you, from FCC standpoint, a real view into how people are trying to shape this stuff.
4: Yeah, I think social media truly is the digital town square, and I think Twitter is potentially the greatest example of it. There's obviously other alternative sites that are out there, Getter, uh, other sites like that, but... What Twitter offers is a place where so many different groups come together, including, again, the take makers, the journalists inside the Beltway are all there. And so that's why it's such an important forum. That's why we have to treat it, I think, as a digital town square. I I remember when the Hunter Biden story came out and Twitter censored it, uh, Jake Sherman, a popular uh, journalist here in D.C., tweeted essentially mea culpa for sharing a link to it. And so it not only disciplines... I think they
1: almost shut down his account for doing it.
4: Right. So it not only disciplines the discourse on Twitter, but obviously it has to impact you know your discourse and your coverage of issues outside. And that's totally. why when it comes to Elon Musk, I'm, I'm hopeful, but I don't think we should put all our eggs in the basket that this particular billionaire will be a benevolent billionaire. That's why I think we need to put in place some laws that are going to be some pro-speech protections that are going to apply across the board. And I think they're pretty simple. We need Obviously, I think we need Section 230 reform. Mm -hmm. We need transparency requirements. We need uh, accountability measures. So for instance, if you're deplatformed or there's a pretextual takedown, you can actually challenge that. I think we need non-discrimination. So things that protect against political discrimination on these digital town squares. I think we need user empowerment. At the end of the day, one of the enumerated purposes of Section 230 in the 1990s was to empower users to make their own content moderation decisions, and we've Mm -hmm. gotten away from that. It's a totally centralized uh, censorship regime. One thing that I've said is, why don't we just give people the choice? If you wanna plug in, let's say, a Fox News filter on your feed, great, do it. If you wanna plug in an MSNBC filter on your feed, great, do it. Let's give people the power to do it, rather than Silicon Valley making these decisions for us.
1: That's really fascinating. I mean, I want to go a little bit into a couple of, of those suggestions that you just made. But I think one of the things that concerns me is, and probably because you've just made those suggestions, is if you were to get under the hood and find that there was just this rampant sort of coordinated effort to try to silence conservative voices, I mean, is there really any repercussions for that? Is there any consequences that somebody at Twitter would would have under current law?
4: Well, there should be some basic accountability. Look, any business in the country that says, hey, I'm offering you product X. And if at the end of the day, it turns out that's product Y, that's a problem. (laughs) And particularly for social media, people are building their entire careers on this. I mean, small businesses can go from red to black and vice versa based on a slight change in the algorithm. So Mm -hmm. I think we should hold them accountable to their promises. Again, they have said for all the content moderation we do, we're not engaged in partisan political Takedowns. Well, let's bring some transparency. Let's bring some accountability, and see if that's what's happening.
1: Mm. Well, it's it's good stuff. So in the in the two thirty debate, it feels to me like this is one of those times when Washington D.C. Uh, I've always said this about financial sector. If you're sitting on Wall Street and you hear a couple of senators talking in detail about like derivatives, you got a big big problem, right? Yep. Because the the level of understanding of this stuff is pretty low. I feel the same way about your line of work, right? And when we had a bunch of discussion about 230, I felt like both sides were talking about it in ways that actually was not applicable. What are you talking about with 230?
4: Yeah, well there's, there's a lot of disinformation to, to borrow that term uh, when it comes to Section 230. So I think the right way to think about 230 is, is two ways. There's two core things that Section 230 does. There's a first component we call 230C1 that basically says when someone else's speech is hosted on a website, that website, whether it's Twitter or Facebook, is not liable mm-hmm. for the content of that speech, if it's libelous or otherwise unlawful. I think it's a pretty good provision. It is a pro-speech provision. It yeah. incentivizes people to host other people's speech. And everyone that is defending the status quo when it comes to 230, they only talk about 230 C1. Right. The problem is there's another provision, 230 C2. You just go down a little bit further in the provision. And effectively, C2 says if you are going to take speech down, if you're going to censor you need to do so based on a good faith belief that it falls within a certain enumerated categories. And what's happened over the years through the court system, and Justice Thomas has called this out, is courts have effectively read all the limitations out of 230C2, and they've said 230C2 gives you carte blanche to censor any speech that you want. Total subjectivity. Right, and that is not what Congress meant in Section 230. And again, there's an overlay here. Everybody has a First Amendment right. Twitter has a First Amendment right, Facebook has a First Amendment right. And consistent with your First Amendment rights, you can take speech down. The question here is whether above and beyond your first amendment right, should you have a statutory section 230 right to take speech down? So I think we need to reform 230 by looking at C2 and saying, if you're gonna take speech down, do so consistent with the first amendment and any lawful limits on that first amendment takedown right, we don't need to be putting this statutory right on top of it.
1: Mm, that makes a ton of sense. I mean. Because basically it's been punitive on both sides, right? Their interpretation of, of 230, what you want to do depends on what you want, what kind of speech you like. Right. Right? <laughs> Which is ultimately the biggest problem. I mean, do you have any confidence that we're at a legislative level of education where people are actually having these conversations?
4: Yeah. Yes and no. It's it's hard because obviously Republicans and Democrats are pulling at opposite ends of the reform threat. Republicans yeah. want more speech. Democrats want more They censorship. both
1: want to break stuff. But how, why and and how they get there is entirely the opposite. Right.
4: They want the tree down. They just want it to fall in different directions. <laughs> so that's a challenge. But there is some good legislation out there. So, for instance, Senator Wicker in the Senate uh, has the Pro-Speech Act, and mm-hmm. that's a very good provision. I think that touches almost all the guardrails for me in terms of transparency, accountability, uh, 230 reform. Uh, obviously, Republican leader Catherine Morse Rogers uh, and Jim Jordan in the House uh, have some legislation as well. So there's actually some really good bills out there. It's going to be a challenge to get, you know, enough votes to get it across the finish line. But again, if you think about where we've come in just two short years, when President Trump first raised Section 230 reform, it was you know uniformly rejected by a lot of people on the right and the left. And now we have built, I think, a broad political base around reforming Section 230. Now we just have to have the votes, whether they're you know Democrats or Republicans, in Congress to get the change.
1: How much concern do you have about uh, tech companies? I mean, we, what you've talked about here is how tech companies perhaps too much have been in contact with this administration in terms of censoring content or whatnot. But do you have a concern about some of the more punitive legislative uh, shots taking at American tech companies, basically giving a a better platform to foreign owned actors? Do you have any concern about like, I don't know, TikTok, for example, or ByteDance, the, the, the parent company of this, basically having... A commitment to free speech issues that doesn't exist, right? right? I mean, it's basically a Chinese view of of this, which is very different than ours. And I, I think the average consumer doesn't understand that ultimately, like the Facebooks, the Instagrams, the Twitters, to some extent, as as bad as people have felt about their content moderation decisions, are somewhat responsive to an American legislative process, right? Whereas TikTok, not so much. Yeah.
4: I got a lot of problems with TikTok. I think first and foremost, from a foreign policy matter, reciprocity makes sense as a starting point. I mean, TikTok is not available uh, in China right. and TikTok has been linked, at least allegedly to a lot of you know harms, particularly for you know young girls, for young children. And so I think if we're going to allow a product like here that they don't themselves allow in their country, I sort of have a, a, a problem. It's,
1: it's like a tactical weapon, right? Yeah. I mean, that's basically the way it's operating.
4: Yeah, I've got a challenge with that. And I think if you step back, you know, you look at the amount of power that Silicon Valley companies have amassed in this country. I think they were able to do so you know, at the beginning of the 2010s, end of the Obama administration, because I think they amassed power in a blind spot for Republicans and Democrats alike. For Democrats, there was a mind meld. You know, They were in an ideological alignment, so they didn't mind the power. The revolving door between the Obama administration and Silicon Valley moves so fast you might get whiplash. For Republicans, I think there were still very uh, strong theme within the Republican Party back then of basically if a large corporation wants to do it, who am I to stand in the way? Mm -hmm. I think at least on the Republican side, and for my part in particular, I really strongly believe that Individual liberty, yes, can absolutely be squelched by the government. We need to oppose big government in that sense. That's the only entity that can actually put you in jail. But I think there's been a late a reemergence within the Republican movement how large corporations can infringe on individual liberty, and I think yeah. this conversation around big tech is a is an area where all of that stuff is starting to blend together. Maybe that's why you're starting to see some some coalescing there.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. I mean, clearly, right? If you've got <clears throat> In this case, if you have foreign actors that are, are hosting platforms that are not sort of subject to American influence in one way or another. And you can foresee a situation where at some point it's a national security issue, right? Yeah. Where there is some kind of a communication and national security space where you could very quickly from an American standpoint do something about it. If these folks aren't subjected to anything, that's concerning.
4: Very much so. And we see this across the board with entities that are ultimately controlled by communist China. We've taken tough action at the FCC on Huawei, yes. on ZTE. I've called for us to step up and take some action against DJI. You know, This is a Shenzhen-based drone company, and they're flying these systems that are highly sophisticated. I mean, they can measure heartbeat, temperature. I mean, they can do everything from a distance. And we have some deep concerns, I do, and, and some components of the federal government as well, uh, about the threat that they pose and, and and that's why you've seen such strong action when i was up in maelstrom air force base up in great falls montana there's just nothing up there except missile silos uh and uh wheat fields but dotted <laughs> through all those wheat fields where there's basically no population are high power cell sites running this huawei gear and all the types of you know Imaging and other things up there, so that's why we've taken a tough action at the FCC on Huawei's ETE. And again, I think it applies straight through to DJI, potentially to TikTok, and others.
1: Yeah, well, I also think it applies to five G, right? And I know this is an area I wanted to talk to you about because you've been intimately involved in it. It's it's the future and the current situation uh, that we face in this country, but there's a lot of international competition there too.
4: You're right. I mean, five G. The way to think about it is, you know, it's essentially the next generation economic platform. If you remember the 3G era, uh, before we had 4G, before we had smartphones, I mean think about how different your life was. If yeah. you had to do banking, you had to go downstairs, go into a brick and mortar bank, <laughs> tell her, stand get in the, one of those rope lines, get the to, thing. You had to, you know, take a pen that was lashed to the table. It was always out of ink. But when 4G came about, this app economy, and now we've got you know Square and other apps right on our phone. That's the same type of transformative experience we're gonna have with 5G, but we're still very much on the front. I know a lot of consumers feel like they're a little underwhelmed with 5G at the moment. feels like the same thing. But that's because that new generation of applications hasn't quite gotten here. But if you step back to the the end of um, the Biden administration, 2015, 2016, all the analysts were ready to give the US a dirt nap when it came to 5G leadership. They were writing reports saying that China was about to unleash a 5G tsunami yes, absolutely. To blow the US away. And there was a lot of data to support that. New cell site built in this country had totally flatlined. In 2016, we put up 708 new cell sites. China was putting up 10x the cell sites we do. And, and, and cell sites, the way to think about it is effectively the building blocks for 5G. Mm-hmm. Well, we got on, in there in the Trump administration, our chairman, Pai at the FCC, we worked hard. We modernized our infrastructure rules. 2019, for instance, there was something like 46,000 new cell sites put up in this country. Internet speeds increased six-fold in this country. We leapfrogged about 20 other country when it, when it came to mobile download speed. And we were able to secure leadership position towards the end of the Trump administration. It was really one of the, the unheralded success stories mm-hmm. of the Trump administration. And I'm very worried about where we are right now. I think we're very much starting to hit stall speed when it comes to 5G leadership under the Biden and, administration. And why is that? I mean, I, it, I just,
1: I fail to understand why it would be that you wouldn't be completely prioritizing something like this
4: there certainly has not been a prioritization inside the biden administration Mm -hmm. for this and for one reason is they've been prioritizing you know high-speed fiber fixed wired connections to some extent over mobile wireless the reality is we need to do all of it but where it plays out is uh disputes across different agencies. So one of the things that we had in the Trump administration was different agencies would push back when we at the FCC took steps to secure U.S. leadership. Department of Transportation pushed back, and we did 5.9 gigahertz. NOAA weather radars pushed back, and we did 24 gigahertz. But what happened then is the White House had the back of the FCC, and we were able to effectively stare, stare down those other agencies, right. take the steps we needed to secure U.S. leadership. We're seeing the opposite of this right now. Some people may remember uh, there was a, a, a dispute a couple months ago involving the FAA. Yeah, the airlines. Yeah, a claim that we were going to uh, disrupt uh, airline travel by C band emissions, which are a, a portion of 5G, and I wrote uh, Buttigieg a letter, you know, pushing back on that claim. But the reality was, the Biden administration didn't have the back of the FCC when it came to that fight. In fact, Politico described Biden as donning the team delay jersey when it came to 5G. So I am worried about where we stand in this country on on 5G right now.
1: Yeah, if you know anything about airline uh, or air traffic control, they they literally pass paper do want to know. talk about talk about an agency that is in dire need of an upgrade right um give us an idea just for the layman on 5g what kind of innovation you think we can expect in the next few
4: years well, what's interesting though is when you think of 4g the most innovative part of it was your cell phone it was that app economy that we're talking about for 5g that's sort of the least interesting part sure your phone is going to be a lot faster so you download a movie in uh, three minutes it might be 30 seconds this time but there's a couple other interesting components. One is just in-home broadband. Right now where you might have felt like you had one choice or no choice for high-speed home internet, you had a, a wired connection. Now you can get 5G and you can get basically the t- same type of speed and service wirelessly that you could only get with a wired before. Hmm. Another one is, you know, again, this this new generation of innovations. I think uh, artificial reality, virtual reality is going to be an interesting component of it. Connected cars. Uh, there's a lot of business side applications that are less interesting to consumers but uh, it's basically going to be that economic platform that's going to drive us forward it's a great job story i mean look we've had to build thousands of new cell sites this has created good paying jobs i've focused a lot on the tower climbers the women and men that uh climb these towers most people they fire up their smartphone they see the bars they just think it's you know magic or pixie (laughs) dust Uh, but it's actual men actual women that climb these structures hang those towers and uh we don't have the workforce in place. We've got to expand the workforce right now to complete this 5G build.
1: Interesting. Well, listen, one of the things I like most about you is you have fun doing your job. Yep. Right? I got to imagine when you're sitting in the
4: middle of a federal bureaucracy, at some level, You're just crying for people to have fun with. (laughs) Well, maybe that comes through on on Twitter a little bit. I try to offer a little bit of sugar to make the medicine go down. Sometimes I, you know, knock it over a little bit and go a little too far, but it is a lot of fun.
1: (laughs) It has to be because on one level, you know, look, you got a very serious job. Obviously, this is an incredibly important, I mean, it's the future. It, it, It is, from my standpoint, what the United States will either build its dominance around or fail to. Right? I mean, there's a lot of things you can talk about, Department of Defense and international relations and, and all the domestic stuff. But, but ultimately, we're in a communications economy. Yep. And if we don't get this stuff right, we don't get anything right. So the, the weight of that's got to be huge. But at some some level, you also have to try to sell it, which I think you're the only FCC guy. Ajit did this to a certain extent, which I, we love Ajit here. He's, he's been on the program. But you really do a great job of trying to sell this stuff in ways that, that people can understand.
4: Well, I'm a big fan of Ajit. Obviously, he he plucked me out of relative obscurity. I came to the FCC in 2012 just as a GS staffer, and he asked me to come work for him. And it was sort of off to the races from there, just a wonderful Wonderful guy. But you're right. I try to do this job a little bit differently. You know, as soon as I got sworn into this job, the first thing I did was was leave D.C. And I try to spend as little time inside the Beltway as possible. I try to cut out the layers of six or seven lawyers and lobbyists. And I spend time with the crews that are building this infrastructure. I just ask them, what's jamming you guys up? What would make this job a little easier? Because they're difficult jobs yeah. already. And I think that's the best way to do a job in D.C. is to spend as little time here as you can.
1: Oh, man. Your lips to God's ears. That is exactly why we built in recesses and things like that. It's, it's unfortunate. <laughs> Unfortunately, people go home and spend time with the same people they've been talking to (laughs) too often anyway, but I got to imagine most of your colleagues don't know what to make of you.
4: Yeah. It's interesting. You know, I definitely do this job a little bit differently. It's a lot of fun and uh, yeah, we're just gonna keep it up.
1: That's awesome. All right. So I got three big questions for you and this is like, we'll get some illuminating stuff here. You know, what's coming as a fan of the program. This is it. You know, what's coming. Yep. Um, Your last (laughs) meal on earth. Brandon Carr. What is it?
4: So I worked for a judge in South Carolina for a year, and growing up in Northern Virginia, I considered that my year abroad. And I absolutely fell in love (laughs) with barbecue. So I'd go to a a barbecue restaurant there, Palmetto Pig is one of the ones that I loved. I'd get the pulled pork, I'd get the rice, I'd get you know, everything all the way down to uh, the bread pudding for the side.
1: The the foreign exchange trip to South Carolina. Exactly right. I love
4: it. You know, sweet tea. In fact, I would even get some of those cocktail shrimp. Because you go to a steakhouse today, and you want to get some cocktail shrimp. It's like $30 for a shrimp. I'm not doing that. Right. But if it's your last meal, I might go all in and get some of that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Okay. All right. Good. Good. Interesting answer. I didn't see that coming. All right. So if you never got into this line of work at all, if um, public service in general... Just sort of never crossed your mind. And you had this blue sky opening in your life to do anything you wanted with it. What would it be?
4: So I think the answer is is an inventor. I'm someone that's very easily annoyed by things and wish that there was some sort of solution to it. So, for instance, um, I'll, I'll break some news here on one of my inventions, no patent. You're know, okay. free to run with it. All right. A peanut butter jar that opens on both ends. You know, because you open it up, you get to the bottom to scoop it out, and you get peanut butter all over your knuckles. Imagine just being able to open it up on the other end. <laughs> this He's is a life brilliant. Changer.
1: This is a life-changing invention. I can't believe nobody's ever
4: talked about this.
1: You get a a filthy hand. I mean, my kids, they want peanut butter sandwiches. Yeah, I'm wearing half the jar.
4: That's right. So... I tell my wife all the time, there's two things that have to happen to make inventions happen. Someone that generates the ideas and someone that implements it. And up to now, I've generated an awful lot of idea. And the system is breaking down on the implementation side. So I'm okay. hoping that you know, she can get some of these across the finish line. When
1: you get out of this line of work, we're going to find an implementation guy for you. <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. All right. So here, this I'm not sure where you're going to go on this. Generally speaking, I can tell where guests are going to go on this. But this is the thrill of victory, agony of defeat question. You know the whole lineup about the sunny optimist and the person who wears every defeat like a backpack and every win is basically celebrated for five seconds or less. Where do you find yourself?
4: Well, so first of all, I have a a fundamental disagreement with this question. Oh, you do? In the sense that, when you ask people, do you want to be like Michael Jordan or somebody else? I cannot imagine picking the somebody else. We've got to come up with a good You'd be surprised how many people do. It's true. But
1: I also had to bet when we first started asking this question, everybody was like, it's a thrill of victory. Anybody likes defeat? And I'm like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. Like, this is about a motivation thing. So that's where the Michael Jordan thing came from.
4: That's right. Well, I, I'm definitely an agony of defeat person. I mean- Almost once a week now, I think back uh, when I played t-ball when I was seven years old, I hit a ball in the outfield and I stopped at first base instead of going to second base. And I still, it just sticks in my craw. You still have it? (laughs) I still have it. So I'm still motivated now. I'm always looking for that chance to go to second base. If I'm driving past a baseball field, I ask people to pull over uh, just so I can try to finish that off.
1: You you just defined an agony of defeat person. That's incredible. That's awesome. All right, so before I let you go, What's the biggest challenge you're going to tackle here in, in the next year at the FCC?
4: Well, one of my things we be waste, fraud, and abuse. I mean, we are spending hundreds of billions of dollars out of Washington right now to bridge the digital divide. And so I think we're going to have to bring a lot of oversight. I'm trying to bring that at the FCC. Maybe Congress can pitch in a little bit as well. Uh, but we owe it to the American people to get that job done. And I'm really worried that we're going to see billions and billions of dollars wasted here.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. Listen, Brendan Carr, FCC. You got to keep us updated when there's big stuff that comes. You got an open line on the variety program. Anything you want to talk about? This has been incredibly informative. Thank you for coming.
4: Thanks so
3: much. Boy, is that guy smart or what?
1: He's so good, man. And he came in here, and uh, you know the thing is, it, it, he came in in the morning, and I, I always like when a guest comes in to kind of like lighten it up and talk through. It. But he's so smart, and he knows so many things that I don't know. I just wanted to set the table. And had just like drain his brain
2: of everything I wanted to know. And it's always helpful on our side, getting someone in an important position like the FCC, especially now we've got a ministry of truth. Yeah. We need to make sure we've got our folks in positions to hold the line.
1: That guy's holding it down for us. No question about it. That guy's got the best interest of the American people in heart. I loved having him. Great.
2: And you know what? I'd say that's another banger of an episode. Gentlemen. Uh, Thanks so much to the Minions. Our numbers continue to grow, and it's because of your support. So uh, I want to thank our friends at PNAS. I want to thank (laughs) the Minions. So until next time, Minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. We'll see you on Thursday. Stay ruthless.